Our precious Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege we have to study your word tonight. We trust you for guidance, for inspiration, for this teaching to fulfill your desire, your will for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are going, we are diving right in the book of Galatia. It's what we scheduled to, to, to start. That we really are starting the theme of the year is to study. We've been studying though, we were instructed to teach the books this year. So we're not doing topical studies, we are, we are doing we are doing the books. So we're starting with the book of Galatia. And um, chapter one to two is what we try to see where we get to today, wherever we go to next Thursday by the grace of God, we continue. So the background and the, the translation we are going to be using is New Living Translation. We are going to use it, I preferred, because it's more modern and the you know, language can, it can be updated because languages do change. We are going to have King James Version 2 at the background. We are going to have New King James Version at the background. Then we are going to use the other versions that will help us bring the whole thing in true biblical context in modern language. So the background story to the book of Galatia, the reason Paul wrote this letter, the book of Galatia was written by Paul to all the churches in the region of Galatia, where Paul had traveled to preach the gospel. These were Gentile believers. They were not Jews. Paul wrote this letter in serious state of anger. He was angry. He was frustrated. And he was showing his great passion for the preaching of the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing what the false gospel does to people. And the true gospel he was preaching is that we are justified and made righteous only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And not by works of men. We are therefore saved by grace alone and received by faith alone with no works required on, on our own side, depending exclusively on what Jesus did for us. As we study, we are going to see a robust defense of the gospel of grace in a very articulate way, a very robust, passionate, articulate defense of the gospel from the heart of a man who was prepared to die for it and learn more about the truth of the gospel as we proceed. Now, these Jewish believers who were, who were uh, opposing Paul, who were also in the church, who were going all over the place and then teaching the law and adding works to the work of Christ, they were also zealous. The reason is because you need to read that in Acts chapter 15. You will see where the church met. It was because of this. It was a very major, huge issue. It wasn't some, they were so determined too. They were really convinced that you have to follow the law of Moses so, to, so that you are saved too. So you see the reason they were doing that is the same reason people also oppose the grace of message today. Because they have been rooted in the teachings of Moses for years, from their father to their grandfather to their father. So they, they just can't, can't figure out why this and not. Why can't you set this apart right away? So it was really something born in. They were also zealous. So in Acts chapter 15, verse 21, you see why. 
For Moses of old time had in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues for every Sabbath day. So they've had this for all their life, growing up, teenage, young adult, old age, their father, their grandfather, and all of a sudden you are telling them this. So they were zealous like Paul was zealous before Christ met him. If Paul didn't have that dramatic encounter, I'm not sure he would have changed his mind. So they also were zealous. They, they believed it. They, they believed with their whole heart that no, you must obey the laws of Moses you, because we, we know that God spoke to Moses. How can you stop it? So look at what they were doing in Acts chapter 17, 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, what did they do? They came thither also and stirred up the people. <laughs> you can see what they were doing. They stirred up the people and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. You can see how they lost these people. We are, this was a very, very serious situation. Very, the church had to call a church council to sort this, quoting scriptures from the Old Testament to, to, to support the preaching of Paul and what he was preaching. They were quoting how God has said the Gentiles are going to be in his chapel and this and this. So couldn't even, the, the Lord said you can't even eat with these people. So the, to them it was like, this is not it. So we understand, I mean, it's happening today. It hasn't stopped. So in the book of Galatians chapter 1, as we see false frustration in all of these things, it opens with Paul presenting his authority. Paul was a legal luminary, man. He was trained in, in, in law. You could notice it when he was speaking before Agrippa. And they said, this guy was so educated. God was using it also. So you could see how he laid out his argument like a real sophisticated lawyer. He was not beating about the bush. He laid it in orderly manner, trying to convince every hearer that the message of the gospel is true. So he opens his presentation by showing his authority to preach the gospel. He's a lawyer. He was showing his authority to preach the gospel as an opening argument. You can notice, like we said, that he was really a scholar. So as Paul appointed, as he said, he was an apostle appointed by the Lord. This we're going to see in verses 1 to 4. An apostle appointed by the Lord. What could be more authoritative than this? Appointed by the Lord who was not appointed by any group any group of people, but his authority to preach this gospel came from the Lord directly and not from any human authority. Unlike these other Jewish false preachers who were not so appointed. See, he was distinguishing himself from them that his authority came from God, came from Christ to preach this thing. Now, he immediately launched into the real point of contention. He stated it right away in verse 4. Now, as we're going on, the real fire works comes from chapter 2, verse 17 to the end. I, I pray that we'll get there because that's where the whole thing really, man, the thing really came to a head right there. But I'm just praying that we'll get there. Let's keep moving. Now, let's read Galatia 1 from verse 1. This letter is from Paul, 
an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people, you see what we said, or any human authority, but by Christ Jesus himself, establishing his authority, and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, verse 2. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. So you know that it's not only Paul. All the believers stand together on this, this gospel. So in verse 3, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Then he launches straight to the point. He has introduced his authority. He was said, look, we all of the believers stand on this thing. And then he went into verse 4. He said, Jesus gave his life for our sins. He went straight to the point of the matter. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. And he put a big amen. So in verses 6 to 23, the key points we will note there is that Paul expressed his frustration and lamented that they were now pulling these people away from God. They were destroying their faith. They were pulling them away from God because they had removed their faith in Christ and placed it on themselves. And Paul knew that there was nothing a man could do to save himself. It was waste of time. If you like, confess your sin from here to Monday. Salvation is not there. It's not there. So they have moved their faith from themselves, from Christ to themselves. And that's, we find it in verses 6 to 7 as we read. He again continues to emphasize that he received this revelation of the gospel direct from Christ to establish that his message is God approved. Then he started to warn everybody that if you are preaching false doctrine, that a cause follows you. And it wasn't only in this letter. Because in this letter, I said, as I've been telling you people all this while. So it wasn't only in this letter. You see, when we read it, I said, I've been, telling, I've been saying this again and again and again and again. That a cause follows you if you are destroying the faith of people. That's his in verses 8 to 9. Then since he was commissioned by the Lord, his purpose was not to please any man. He wasn't preaching this gospel because some group of people sent him. He was trying to, no, his purpose was not to please any man, but to please God who had approved his message and commissioned him directly. Emphasized that this gospel was not from human wisdom, but from God himself. That is verse, verses 11 to 12. Then in verse 13 to 14, he said that if there is anybody who will oppose this gospel, it was him. Because of his zeal before now. Then in verse 15, he said, God called him even before he was born. That he was destined to preach this gospel. Then in verse 23, he used the word that we should take note of. He called this preaching, preaching of faith. Preaching of faith. Preaching of faith. Which means, if you are not preaching faith in Christ, you are not preaching the real gospel. He called it preaching of faith. So let's read verses 6 to 23. Let's start. I am shocked 
that you are turned away so soon from God. You see, he said, this thing pushes you away from God. Who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ? You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Seven, but it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. In verse 8, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. Nine, I say again, what we have said before, which means I've been telling this all over the place. I'm just not saying it for the first time. I am telling people what is the truth. He said, I say again what I've been saying before. If anybody preaches any other God's good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. That should frighten us. That should, that should make us be careful what we tell people. That will wake everybody up because the scripture cannot be broken. Faith in Christ. Be careful what you do. Then verse, um, verse 10. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people because he said people didn't send me. It was God. But of God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I would not be Christ's servant. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. But because Christ sent me, my goal is to please him. And he, be, he says this virtually, so, so many, when he's talking to Corinthians, he repeated this statement. He said, I'm before you in fear and trembling. He said, because I know that God is the auditor. He said, this message he gave me, I don't want to add to it, so I don't remove the power of this gospel. This man was so conscious of the gospel that he didn't want to dilute it with human wisdom. So he said, I'm not preaching to please people. So I'm telling you people what the truth is. Because Christ commissioned me and I'm answerable to him. So in verse 11, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on human reasoning. It's not human wisdom. Twelve, I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what it was, what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How I violently persecuted God's church. He said, if anybody will, will be the one opposing this gospel, I should be the one. Huh? Violently persecuted the God's church. I did my best to destroy it. Fourteen, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the tradition of my ancestors. 15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him, verse 16, to reveal his son to me so that I could proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So you see, he's giving his credentials right here. Then in verse 17, sorry, in verse 16, 16, yeah. To reveal his son to me so that I will pr proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia 
And later I returned to the city of Damascus. 18. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. And they stayed with him for 15 days, 19. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the lost brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. So he said, nobody taught me this thing. Christ gave it to me directly. 21. After that visit, I went not into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. Verse 22. And still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. So there's no way they, have, they would have given me what I'm telling you. That's what he's trying to prove here. That this message came directly by revelation of Christ. 23. All they knew was that the people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith. Faith is what he's preaching. The very faith. Are you preaching the very faith? Are you preaching the works of me? Faith in, in the arm of the flesh. The very faith he tried to destroy. And he, they praised God because of me. So now let's go to chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now the key points to notice here, he was approved also by the apostles and the leaders to preach the gospel after they had examined what he was teaching. Again, he's still continuing as a lawyer to, to, to state his authority to convince these people that the gospel is from God so that the apostles gave him commission, approved what he was preaching. These Jews had infiltrated the church because they were zealous. Now all you need to do, like I said, is read, read Acts chapter 15. You see the contentious meeting they had. These Jews had infiltrated the church and wanted to force Timothy, his co-worker, to be circumcised. That's how serious it was. They wanted to force him to be circumcised, but they resisted them. This will tell us how serious this opposition was by these Jews who believed in Moses and Christ. That we read in verses 3 to 5. He also stated that his ministry was not inferior to that of the apostles because it was the same God who commissioned them that commissioned him. So we're going to see these three silence points that I've mentioned as we read chapter 2 from verses 1 to 10. So, verse 1. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. And Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. You see, God said to him, go and let them judge this thing I revealed to you. We should learn from these things. We should learn. God does not discard authority he put in place. You can't because God showed you something, some miracle or something in your life, then you discard God's authority over you. That's being disorderly. The Holy Spirit is not disorderly. When he puts authority, you didn't tell him to put it. He saw you and put that person over you. And God said, go to these apostles. Tell them what I revealed to you. I am working in them too. So that they can approve it. And he said, if they didn't approve it, then I would have run in vain. That would have finished my ministry. He would say, but I know God told me who I did to tell me what to say. 
That's what people do today. This is how the Spirit of God told me. The Spirit of God is leading me. When the Spirit of God told you to be under authority, he said, judge all things. You should be judged. I said, God told me. God told me I know what I'm doing. God's, God's directing me. You are finished already. You are, you are in a, the devil has got you where he wants you. It's called rebellion. The Bible says it's worse than witchcraft. He has, the devil has cornered you in rebellious spirit, and you keep growing in rebellion until you destroy yourself. If you are humble, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The hand of God is his authority. It's his authority. Authority he has placed. Everywhere you see the scripture right of authority, he will tell you to be. When he wrote about family authority, he said, wife, submit to your husband. That's authority. In all things. That's authority. Anywhere God puts authority, he tells people that want to obey him, submit to this authority. Because that's what brings order, and that's what stops the devil from dividing and causing confusion in the family, in the church. Because where you have too many, too many cooks spoiled the broth. So you have this spirit that you are in the Sunday school, they give you manna. I say the spirit of God told me to teach something. Size not. I'm telling you right away, it's not. Teach what they told you. Just teach what, don't be wise in your own eyes. Teach what, if you, if, you walk your, if you watch your life, you realize that you are not teachable. That that attitude is what you do everywhere. You like to do your own thing. You are so independent. Very argumentative. No, if they said, this is what you are teaching, teach it. Because the same spirit of God gave them that to give you to teach. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. And Tartus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church. And shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure they were in agreement. For fear that all my effort had been wasted and I was running this race for nothing. If they said no, yes, sit. When we left Foursquare and Ubika was with me, when we went to the leaders, the, the big leaders, I didn't say we're leaving. I told them, I said, this is what is coming to my spirit, but you are my leaders upon whom God has given authority to guide us. I said, I'm under you people. All I want you to tell me is if this is the will of God or not. If it's not the will of God, I'll stop it now and now. Rebecca is my witness. I say because rebellion is not in the church of God. If it's God, he will make a way. You don't have to help him. I say, you people judge it. You are supposed to lead me. You are supposed to be my pastors. I'm under you. If it's not God, tell me. If it's God, tell me. I need that witnessing from you. And they say, Pastor Chinedu, this is God. This is God. And they prayed. They said, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that this church would go. And they began to thank God for the faithfulness of the church in tithing, in sending. They were thanking God and they started to bless us. 
And it wasn't long after that, the international president, without my invitation, God sent him here to come and pray for us and send us on our way. Nobody, it was the Spirit of God that was confirming that I'm the one sending you. No division, no rancor. And after that, the district, district, district boss came, prayed for us, sent us going. You will see when God is doing something, it's always in order. Because the Spirit of God, if it's him, he will make a way where there's no way. The heart of the king is in his hand. That's how you walk safely to start with. That's how you really walk safely. Because it doesn't take time to say if I had known. So we'll continue. <clears throat> Verse 3. And they supported me and did not demand that my companion Titus be circumcised. So you know, I, I said it, you know, it was Titus really. It was Titus. My companion Titus be circumcised. Where did I put somebody's name there? Yeah, it's Titus. My companion Titus be circumcised. Though he was a Gentile, even that question came up only because of some so-called Christians there, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow the Jewish regulations. But we refused. <laughs> we refused to give in to them for a, a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. We refused. They were preaching false doctrine. Salvation is free. Based on faith in what Christ has done. We refused. Because if we succumbed, the gospel message will be polluted. Actions speak louder than word. Actions speak louder than word. Brother, let me pause here. Let me talk to us. You can claim to be anointed and a believer. Wonderful. People are looking for what you have. They want to see Christ. They are looking for what you have. Not what you say. They want to see, and when they see Christ, they recognize him. Do you know that, I'm saying it, Moses said, he said, your presence among us differentiates us from the people. It wasn't the law of Moses that differentiated them. It was divine presence. And Joseph was in a strange land. Pharaoh, the authority said, this man has a spirit we can't find anywhere. What do you have? It's what you have. It's what you have, people. Christ in us is the hope of glory. So we preserve this gospel message for the people that are following us. We too need to stand on solid ground on faith in Christ and refuse to accept any polluting thing. You, you owe it to your children. 
You owe it to people you bring influence over to preserve the message of the gospel for them. Practically, what have you got? They need to see it. Jesus said, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. They need to see it. If you preach it, leave it. Verse 6. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorite. 7. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. See, he said, my call is not inferior to them because it's the same God that called them, even though they're apostles, that that doesn't make my call inferior, that God is no respecter of persons. So the same God that called them called me. So he had confidence in what he was doing. Verse 8. For the same God who walked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also walked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars in the church, recognized the gift God has given me. They recognized it. What do you have? It's recognizable. It's recognizable. Christ is recognizable. People, I'm telling you, they said, watch out for... Seven men of honest report, full of the spirit, is recognizable. You don't have to advertise him yourself. He has ability to advertise himself in a vessel that puts his faith in him. That vessel will be a choice vessel for him to manifest his glory. If, you know, when you don't put your face in Christ, it's pride. Because you think you can handle it, you know what you're doing. See, also ignorance. And without him, we can do nothing anyway. So, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given you don't send yourself and say, I know God anointed me. Forget about that. People that you walk on that should recognize your call and your gifting. If you want to follow the way God does stuff, they should recognize it. They will see it. And if there's anything that God wants to do with you, God will talk to them too. Because God, they will give account of your soul. God will talk to them too. Don't come and tell me, God, the Spirit of God told me to do. You know, people come to my office, say me on my things. Out of court, say, I just say, okay. You want me to pray for you? Pray for you. God bless you. <laughs> so, they encourage us to keep preaching to the Gentiles. No, no, no. I missed something. He said, let me go back. In fact, James and Peter and John who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Continue. See, he's telling them, 
I was commissioned by the apostles too. They commissioned this gospel. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Now let me ask a question. If the apostles commissioned this preaching of the gospel of grace, why must you fight against it? If Christ gave it, the apostles say, yep, this is God. Why, why do you stand when you're, when you're fighting against it? What spirit is that? So let's come to verses 11 to 13. We're in chapter 2 now. Verses 11 to 13. Paul opposes Peter. It's amazing. This is interesting. Paul opposes Peter and the other notable disciples over the gospel. Peter out of fear. You see these zealous people? Peter was afraid though. They wanted to force uh, 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 Paul to get this man um, circumcised. Who was his co-worker? So you can see how zealous they were. They were violent. And that tells you it's not the spirit of God anyway. So, so Peter was afraid of them. So he, he discriminated against the Gentiles in the sharing of meals. Because fear grabbed him. He didn't want to offend anybody. People who can't live this Christian life without offending people. Paul said, if I preach, if I, he called it the offense of the gospel. The gospel will offend people. So if you want to avoid the offense, stop preaching the gospel and backslide. As long as you preach this gospel of grace, you are going to be offending people. People are going to frown at you, make their eyes, all those kind of things. But it doesn't move you at all. Paul said, if I, if I preach that we, that we need the law, and they say, why am I still being persecuted now? He said, then the offense of the gospel has ceased. The gospel attracts opposition from the enemy. Seriously. Because that's a message that knocks him out. So Peter was eating with the Gentiles, and when these people trooped in, Peter stopped eating with them. And Paul challenged him right before them. Verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was wrong. What did he do? When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish, Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas. <laughs> Even Barnabas of all people was led astray by their hypocrisy. Do you know today there are people who, because they want to please their carnal friends, unbelieving friends, they will not stand for the truth. They compromise their, the truth. They even compromise their integrity. In their place of work, they compromise their integrity because they want to belong to this friend, their friend, groups of friends, so that when something happens, they wear gale from them. And they compromise their faith because of Gele. Gele. So they're doing something, people came. So what? So what, 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 what relevance is it in the kingdom of God that people, people came, you are doing something? What, what, what's the importance of it in salvation? Gele. 
It's only useful if there's an opportunity to preach the gospel. They bring them to church. Yeah, they hear the gospel. That's, what, that's the only useful thing. There's no record in heaven that they, people walk away for you because you are doing something. But that's what people do. They compromise their faith just to retain membership of this, membership of that, especially when they give them secretary, give them title, give them those. So what lessons do we learn from this encounter now? We do not swallow everything because somebody said it. We swallow it because the scripture said it. See how Barnabas and all these Christians followed Peter because of his title and position. He misled them into hypocrisy. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. And these things, brethren, are having a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. Don't think of men above that which is written. That no one of you be puffed up for one against the other. Don't think of men above what is written in Scripture. Now, Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Whether those things were so, Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women who were Greeks and of men who, not a few. The reason they believed was because they cited the scriptures to find out if the scriptures say the same thing. So that you are not deceived in these last days. Now, verses 14 to 16. Paul raises very vital question for Peter right here. Very vital question. In verse, he said in verse 14, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all of them, all the others, since you, Peter, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws. Peter, you have discarded the Jewish laws. You don't follow the laws anymore. And are living like Gentiles to whom the law was not given. Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish tradition, which you, you yourself have discarded, Peter? Why? You, now, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like Gentiles. Yet, we know, Peter, we know, you know it and I know it. We know, Peter, you, you just approved this message. I just shared with you people what I preach. You people are proving. You know, Peter. It's not that you don't know. You know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. You know it, Peter. And that's why you discarded the law. Because it couldn't make you righteous before God. It couldn't make you acceptable by God. It was not profitable to you. So you discarded it now to live by faith. For the just shall live by faith. Peter, you know. Peter, you know. That a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one, Peter, you know, no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So 
if no one will ever be made right by, by God, with God by obeying the law, why are you pushing these Gentiles to what will never make them right with God? Very valid question. Very valid question. And that question is still valid today. When we bring works, why are we bringing what will never make somebody acceptable to God, to him? Now let's read some supporting scriptures. In Hebrews 10, 4, it says, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to, make, to take away sin. You see, all that ministry in the law could not take away sin. Verse 8. That is Hebrews 10, verse 8. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. No matter what offering you make for sin, if you, if you like, pray from here to Monday. No matter what offering you make for sin, offering you make for sin, as you come to Christ, 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 as you come to receive Christ, no matter what offering you make for sin, no, no, he said, no, were you pleased? He said, he said, God was not pleased, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the Lord of Moses. Verse 9. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. What is his will? He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. God canceled the, the, this covenant, the law, the law and the ministry of Moses, the old covenant, God canceled it because it could not take away sin. All that sacrifice could not take away sin. So God canceled it. Why did he cancel it? To put the second into effect. For God's will was to make, was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all times. God's plan is that through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, we are made holy. So that when we accept the sacrifice of Christ, we are made holy. We are made holy. The blood washes us. We can't tell righteous. And we can come to God. Hebrew 9.22 And almost all things are by the law, purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. And nothing under the law of Moses could give man a new life anyway. Because man was born with evil nature. So in Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promise of God, God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. There's no law that would give life. There is nothing you do to receive life except you come to Christ. He gives life. In Hebrews 7, 19, for the Lord never made anything perfect. Nothing. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw nigh to God. What's that better hope? Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have confidence in Christ, in his sacrifice, through which you come near to God, through which you accept it to God. Message of faith. 
Romans 8, 3 to 4. The law of Moses was unable to save us. <laughs> That's the end of the matter. Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So why depend on what is unable to save you? Why depend on it? Why depend? Why push people to, uh, to that? Why not push people to what saves? Only Jesus can save. The Lord of Moses is unable to save anybody or help anybody at any point. He doesn't have power, doesn't have life, doesn't have anything. Can't wash away your sin, can't make you perfect. So the gospel gives us a revelation in Colossians 1.20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. See how peace came? Through the blood of his cross. By him, to reconcile all things unto himself by him. I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Everything is reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. Because that's what washes away sin. Without it, there's no forgiveness. That's what brings forgiveness. And once you appropriate it, appropriate what Christ did, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And God counts you righteous and accepts you. In Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, by faith, we have peace with God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That's why we have peace with God. Because of our faith now, you see, this, Paul said that they say that he now preaches this faith. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Because Christ is the hope of glory. The hope of the glory. Ephesians 2.18. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Jesus had done for us. So why bring something that can't, can't draw me to God? And if I, if I can't be drawn to God, how can I receive life, receive strength, receive wisdom, receive guidance? How can I receive baptism of the Holy Spirit? How can I receive fruit of the Spirit? How can I receive? How can? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So Paul preached everywhere. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you are saved. Grace, through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Do you pay for a gift? All you do for a gift is receive it. Lest any man should boast. Titus and other apostles preach the same thing. Let's hear from brother Titus. For we ourselves also, we are sometimes foolish. Disobedient, deceived, serving diverse laws and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. 
that being justified by his grace or being made righteous by his grace, we should, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. And these things are will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful now to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So you see, this gives us access now to the Spirit of God. So they will be led of the Spirit, empowered of the Spirit. We get baptism of the Holy Spirit so we can be witnesses for Christ. We live by the power of the Spirit. And the power of the Spirit is stronger than your flesh. It's stronger than your flesh. So, so through the power of the Spirit, you put to death. You put to death the desires of the flesh. The power of the Spirit is stronger than your flesh. You have something more powerful than your flesh. The thing that raised Lazarus from the dead, rotten smelling Lazarus, can take care of your flesh. Can put it where it belongs. And reveal to you the secret things of the kingdom. So you, you don't walk in ignorance and, and you're destroyed. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only his presence in us distinguishes us people. I'm telling you. That which is not possible with man becomes possible. For all things are possible to them who believe, who trust in the Lord. Then verses 17 and 18. Very interesting something here. Man, verses 17 and 18. Very interesting. Paul demolished, completely demolished, completely destroyed the argument that many use today to reject the free gift of salvation and righteousness by faith in Christ. They say it makes it easy to sin. It makes people to sin. It promotes sin. Paul took that argument and ripped it, shredded it, demolished it, threw it away. Completely threw it away. Because that's what they were saying. Look at verse 17. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. He said, suppose, you people, like you people are saying, that we want to, righteousness come by faith in Christ alone, and suppose we are teaching people that, and it makes people commit sin. We are found to be promoting sin. Makes it easy to commit sin. Just suppose that it's like that. He said, he said, he said, he said, would that mean Christ has led us into sin? That's a question. Are you saying that by believing Christ, that he has been promoting sin? That Jesus is promoting sin, calling the work of the Spirit a sinful thing. And Paul said, in, he said there, he said, absolutely not. In fact, in some translations, say, God forbid. In some, trans in some translations, he says, it's abomination. 18. Rather, I'm a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law, I already told them. He says, let me explain what he's saying here. He says, you cannot say that by trusting in Christ for righteousness, that he promotes sin when Jesus himself came to save us from sin. How can you, how can you attribute the work of the Spirit, the work of God, to evil? He says, abomination. He says, God forbid. 
So you're saying Christ is a minister of sin? Because that's what you're saying by saying that. Look at Romans 3. And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. You see? Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. And then Jude addressed the same thing. Jude chapter 3 from verse 1. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I found that I must write about something else. Urging you to defend this faith that God has entrusted once for all to his holy people. Verse 4. I say this because some ungodly people have warmed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to save us from sin. They say he's promoting sin by the very act that delivers us from sin. So let's take a closer look at Paul's position. How he took this kind of junk and ripped it to, to shreds. Threw it through, through the window. He said, if we seek to be made righteous by faith in Christ, to accept the free gift of acceptance, righteousness by God because of what Jesus did for us, then we are now found to be promoting sinfulness like many argue. Then he asks his own question. Does anybody think that Christ Jesus who died for our sins, will lead us to sin because that is what that position actually implies. He said, God forbid this abomination. So he now said, he, 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 he had also said before that Christ destroyed the power of sin and set us free from sin. So now, how can he lead us back to sin? By offering us salvation. Isn't salvation freedom from sin? So how can he lead us back to sin by offering us salvation and righteousness free on his own account? When instead he actually saved us from sin himself and cleansed us with his own blood and made us righteous by his own blood. How can faith in him be promoting sin? Look at Romans 6. We know that our old sinful self were crucified with Christ. Why? So that sin might lose its power in our lives. Is it this ministry? That is promoting sin. Is it this ministry? We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. He said, this, this is what Christ did. So how can you attribute these works of grace that he promotes sin? He says it's abomination. It's totally abomination. And that's what Jesus was warning the Jews. Not to attribute the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan. That that's a serious sin to commit. That's what he was telling them. He said, all these arguments you people are making are talking like this. You are really, really talking abominable things. Making Christ a minister of sin. The one who died to destroy the power of sin. To provide salvation for mankind. From sin, from Satan and the world. So his ministry, you are attributing it to iniquity. He completely demolished that and threw it away. And he now made a point. Serious point. He said that the opposite is actually sin. When you are promoting what cannot give people life, 
cannot bring them to God, cannot deliver them from themselves, when you are promoting the law, that you are really, really committing sin because you are giving people what does not work. You are deceiving them and fooling them. You are part of the false teachers. That's what he said. Let me go back and show it to you. In, 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 in Galatians chapter, chapter, I mean, chapter 2, verse 18. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law. I already told them. We read that God himself canceled it to establish a new one. So whoever is trying to build what God has canceled, he said that's the one that is really committing sin and the agent of sin. Because he wants to perpetuate people in what God has canceled, what God said is unprofitable, what can give them life, can make them righteous, can't empower them, can't reveal the truth to them. Nothing actually condemns them. And Peter fought against this thing. Second Peter 3.17. I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends. Be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. 18. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You must grow in this grace, in this message of grace. Don't let these wicked people pull you away, destroy your faith in Christ. In 1 Peter 5.12, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Don't move. Stand. Stand on the message of grace. You see, what you're experiencing is the grace of God working in your life. You know, God said to Paul, 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 all you need is my grace. All you need is sufficient for you. Now, verse 19. We're making progress. We're making progress, right? Verse 19. Paul gives up on the law <laughs> to which he was zealous of because he found it unprofitable. The law actually kills, condemns his pop, And he, he said, my purpose is to live for God. And the law does not promote that, does not help me to live for God. It doesn't empower me. It doesn't help me. It, it doesn't make me righteous. It doesn't draw me to God. Actually, condemns and kills me. So this unprofitable way, I discarded it so that I can live for God through faith in Christ. Because when I believe in Christ, I receive new life. I receive his spirit. He guides me. He strengthens me. He teaches me. He shows me the things to come. And through the spirit, I put my flesh under control. He said, I discipline my flesh. He said, by the power of the spirit, you put to death all the strength of the flesh. And without the spirit of Christ, I can do nothing. So I have decided to face this faith in Christ with all my life. Because that's what will make me live for God. That's what he said 
in that verse 19. In verse 19, he said, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements. Why? So that I might live for God. This word of the law is not going to make me live for God. Something that will not bring me to God will make me righteous, will make me accepted. For by the deeds of the law shall no man be counted righteous before God. Why should he make, why do I think that that same thing will make me live for God? So I just push it aside. Besides, God himself canceled it and established a, a new way through faith in Christ. That's what he's saying. Look at what he said in Romans chapter 7 verse 4. So my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. You, for you died to your first husband, the law. So you stopped following it, the law, by being crucified with the body of the Messiah. When you died in Christ, you received a new life. <clears throat> you received this life. His spirit to guide you now. So you don't need the law. So you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead, so that you may now be spiritual, so that you can bear spiritual fruit to God. So that's how you bear fruit when you are joined to Christ. The vine and the branch. Not the law. The vine and the branch. Married, joined. Remember that Christ is the bridegroom. The church is his bride. He dresses us in the robe of righteousness and brings us to the feast of divine blessings. And it is through intimacy in the natural that you produce it. Through intimacy with Christ, you produce fruit. Join with him. Your spirit is joined with him. But you got to fellowship with him. It is through that intimacy, through that intimacy that his life flows through you. Just like the life of a man flows, flows through the, the, the wife, produces it. His life flows through you, flows through you and produces, produces. It's not by effort. I don't know anybody who have children by effort. Say, yeah, huh, what to work out? No, it's by simple. Your life, it's intimacy. Your life flows through this woman and they see this produce. The life of Christ flows through your spirit and produces fruit. That's how Paul said the law doesn't produce fruit for anybody. It condemns us. So, but I now have given my, my totally life to Christ, my faith in him, so that I can live for Christ. So that's what he's telling them. He said, when you are married to Christ, when you are joined to him, you have left the law. You, it's like you are married, you are dead to it. You are married a new husband. By, by being joined to Christ, living in intimate relationship with him, you can now produce Harvest of good works for God. Second Corinthians 3, 7 to 11. The, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Did you hear that? It led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God. Even though the, the brightness was already fading away, shouldn't we expect far greater glory when the new way, the new way, the new way, the new way, now, under the new way, sorry, 
shouldn't we expect greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. Shouldn't we expect greater glory? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. If the old way which brings condemnation. Paul said, I tried to bear the Lord condemn me. All he does is show me what I'm, my wrong. You know, the soul that sinners shall die. The Lord condemns everybody. And did not provide us a way out. Romans 5.15 But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. Brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many. Through this man, Jesus Christ. Gift of forgiveness. Verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. You see what Paul is saying? The law brought condemnation, brought death. But, but, and, and even in Adam, all die. But Christ's free gift leads us, leads to being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins, 17. For the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So now Paul uses his life to, to give example of everything he's been talking about in these chapters 1 and 2. So he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, my old self was crucified with Christ. You see what it's talking about? He said, hey, I died in Christ. So the power of sin has been destroyed in my life. And I've received life that the Spirit gives. I've received new life. I've died in Christ. He said, for my old self was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Paul died. I am married to Christ. I am joined to him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the son of God. Putting my faith in him from beginning to the end. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So if keeping the law could not make us right with God. So Christ came and died for our sins. Took our place. So that forgiveness of sin would be available through his blood. And then if our sins are forgiven, we're accepted by God freely like that. And when we come to God, we receive a new life. That says, I died. My old nature was crucified. That's an act of the power of the Spirit. When we come to Christ, we are circumcised. The old thing is taken away. The old nature, the old nature, which was the main problem we had, which the law couldn't remove. He said the law could not give us life, could not make us free from the old nature. Only the power of Christ could do that. And when the old nature is taken away and the new life is given to you, you have received now all things that pertain to life and godliness. And by walking in faith, by believing them, they start manifesting in your life as you grow. You know, fruit is cultivated. You cultivate it. You cultivate it. You meditate on it. You water it. You, you confess it. Your faith continues to grow. The fruit continues to grow. 
It starts, the, the Lord Jesus said it's like a shoot. First of all is the shoot, then this one, then this one, then the full corn. So you, as you cultivate it, meditate, study, practice, 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 practice makes perfect. That power of Christ in you will produce as you grow your faith in him. It's not by works. It's not by arm of the flesh. It's by the arm of the spirit. And if you don't walk by the power of the spirit, you'll be carnal. You'll be carnal-minded because you'll be depending on your reasoning, wisdom, and carnal things. And that leads you away from fellowship with God. So, by next Sunday, I mean next Thursday, we will, okay, let me read this one. Say I one minute. Romans 6, from verse 6 to 7. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for, but when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. That's what Paul is saying. He said, I died with Christ. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead. You've died. But now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to continue on Thursday. Very interesting argument and positions that we see Paul vehemently defended the gospel. And I hope as we are studying, you yourself, you're understanding the gospel more and more. And understand that it is grace and faith. Grace, faith. Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you again as we go through this book of Galatia. Seeing the gospel being defended, explained, so that we too will be able to understand it and defend it because the enemy is still fighting it today. The enemy is still vigorously fighting it today because he knows that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. He wants us to be ignorant. So he will take advantage of us and drag us into spiritualism, into ritualism, into religion, things that are worthless, that has nothing to do with you. I pray, Lord, that as we hear, that you continue to teach us, continue to open our eyes, continue to open our understanding, so that this world will enter every hearer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.